0: Look of Daniel and uh, gathering the insights that Daniel had. Remember, as we look at Daniel, Daniel is going to break into two parts. Part one, chapters one through six, is historical. It's going to go through a historical narrative of Daniel's life. Chapters 7 through 12 are his visions. The visions and the prophecies that the Lord gave Daniel through through his dreams and, and other times when God spoke to him. Woo! So that's kind of loud. But I don't mind. <laughs> so what, what we're dealing with is we look at chapter 8. where the second vision in the second part of, the, of Daniel. Dividing Daniel, history and prophecy. And chapter 8 is still during the time period when Daniel was serving Babylon. It's prior to the coming of the Medes and the Persians. So we have this next dream. Now you may remember last week... As we looked at at chapter 7, Daniel had an opportunity to see kingdoms from the point of view of God looking upon that area that God is so concerned with, the, the Middle East, as we see that, that the Lord's timepiece is Israel. So I've got a slide. If we roll that next slide up, that's going to give us all the examples. We're going to see how... There we go. You see the... The, the statue, remember, in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He saw these same earthly kingdoms from man's point of view. Shiny metal. The head of gold was Babylon. The chest of silver was the Persian Empire. The the thighs of brass, we're going to see, is Greece. The legs of iron, and then iron mixed with clay as a Roman and a, and a revived, a Rome part 2 Coming later on. We're going to see all that. And we saw the beginning of that in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 7. We saw it from God's point of view. We look at those governments. All these shiny metals. God looks at them as beasts. The first beast was a winged lion. It signified Babylon. In fact the, the insignia on the gates of Babylon. Were winged lions as well. But the scripture lays out for us. That's what it is. The bear. Raised up on one side with three ribs in his mouth is a picture of the Medo-Persian Empire. Tonight we'll have that even more established as we look at the, uh, the ram and the goat prophecy. Then in Greece we see a leopard with four wings flying, barely even touching the ground. We're going to see that built on tonight as well in the he-goat. But in this case the leopard is the symbol of Greece in Alexander the Great. And then finally, you have this terrible beast, this horrible beast with iron teeth, just like the iron legs of the statue, crushing and mashing everything in its in its path. And we talked about how Rome, as the legs of iron, again was described in the dream Nebuchadnezzar had as crushing and destroying. The one thing Rome said above all other things that it did, it, it boasted in its ability to destroy. Now Babylon, when they conquered someone, they took the best and they integrated them into their society. When Rome conquered, they just blew everything apart and everything became Rome. They didn't bring or gather any of the others into it. So we see that in the terrible beast. And then we see that terrible beast grow ten heads, just like the statue had ten toes. The Bible tells us the ten heads and the ten toes are ten kings. Who as yet do not have power, but in the last days, when we see the Antichrist arise, he's going to pull down three of those ten kings and elevate himself. Coming from that revived Roman Empire. Now, when we talk about a revived Roman Empire, we have to understand, Rome was not just in Rome. That Roman Empire stretched across the then-known world. All those civilizations. Later on, I'll show you a slide in regard to it. But I just want to keep keep this in mind as we take a look at, at the prophecies that we have today. Because each prophecy in succession is going to highlight on these four kingdoms. What's so important about those four kingdoms? Those four kingdoms led to the appearance of the Mashiach, the Messiah. And in the middle of Rome in 70 A.D., we saw the end of Israel as a nation. Israel didn't exist. They were dispersed, as we're going to see in Daniel chapter 9. When we get to Daniel chapter 9, they're dispersed. They're sent out into the other nations. And then, 1948, the nation of Israel is rebirthed, fulfilling Ezekiel 38 and 39 as we see God breathe life into the valley of dry bones. Israel becomes a nation again, folks. At the same time Israel became a nation, Europe began to band together and form what we know as uh, the the European Common Market. They began to bind together the old pieces of Rome. Now when we look at the prophecies, guys, when we see the legs of iron and then feet of iron mixed with clay we see that it has part of the power of Rome, but it's also weak. It's not going to be the same massive uh, system that Rome had, but it's going to be a part of that. And folks, that stretches from, from shore to shining shore. I mean, the Roman Empire was, was enormous. And we're going to see, for the powers that we're concerned with as we look at the news today, there is not one ruler that we cannot trace their roots back to some portion of the Roman Empire or some part of the empires that we have listed up in these four. So the Lord focuses on these because in the time of these kingdoms, Israel ceased to be a nation. And as the comeback was coming of Rome part two, Israel began to be a nation again. That's why we're not really focusing on the British Empire or the United States, or all those things, because we're not players in terms of what God's doing in Israel and among His people. The promises that God gave to Israel folks are still Israel's promises. God will fulfill all those promises that He's given. And that should give us hope, right? Because Romans 9, 10, and 11 tell us, since God's so faithful to the nation of Israel, He will be That faithful to you and me. He'll fulfill his promise. He never never took them, wadded them up, and threw them away. What does that mean? He's not going to take me, wad me up, and throw me away. So we hold on to those promises. Now, as we look tonight, this is incredible. And you'll remember I told you sometime around 337, Jaduah the high priest, facing the armies of Alexander the Great, coming down onto Jerusalem, went out and met him in the fields outside of Jerusalem and laid out before him a scroll. The scroll that he showed him was the book of Daniel, and the part of Daniel that he showed him was Daniel chapter 8. Alexander the Great, seeing himself in the pages of Scripture, decided not to conquer Jerusalem. Jerusalem just gave up. Hey, you're the man. You know, let him come in and, and do his thing. He took a tour of the temple. And as a result, the Scriptures, the truth of the prophecy that Daniel was given hundreds of years before Alexander the Great, Spared the nation. So let's take a look. Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. Now I saw in this vision, uh, and it so happened, while I was looking, I was in Shushan, the citadel, and it, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. Now, in his vision, He's transported, whether just in his vision or, or as he sees it, to the kingdom of Persia. All of these places that we're looking at, Shuzhan, Shusan, and Elam in the Ulai River, were a part of the Persian Empire, which as yet was beginning to rumble, but had not arisen to power. And I lifted my eyes and I saw there, standing beside the river, was a ram that had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. Now this should remind us of what we read in chapter 7. Remember the bear it was lifted up higher on one side? That bear lifted higher on one side. And the emphasis drawn onto this ram now is talking about this ram having two horns. And one side lifted up higher than the other, and that side came up last. We don't have to guess, folks, who these are. Because in verse 20, he's going to tell us. The goat and the two horns are the kings of Med and Persia. The Persian was taller and it came up last. It was weaker when they joined, but it grew more powerful in the end. The kingdom is known as the Persian kingdom and the Medes are forgotten. So we see the exact same description, folks, of the bear in chapter 7. Lift it up high on one side. The, this, this ram, lifted up high on one side. When we, we want to follow good, solid hermeneutics when we interpret Bible prophecy. Hermeneutics is a fancy term. Some guy who makes more money than all of us thought up to describe how we interpret the Word. So we want to allow whenever possible the Word of God to tell us what it means. Instead of us pulling something out of context and and fitting it to something else. Because we all can probably pull out a piece somewhere and make it fit something, can't we? So we, whenever possible, want to allow the word of God to guide us and direct us in that. So we see this ram, two horns, Medes and the Persians, similar to the bear. And I saw the ram pushing west and north and southward so that no animal could withstand him nor was there any that could deliver from his hand but he did according to all his will and he became great well he's talking about cyrus the persian cyrus the persian these are a description of his conquest his conquest just as the scripture declares to us pushed west north and south and he expanded his kingdom now Some estimates of the Persian army go as high as a million. They boasted a million-man army. Probably more likely they're somewhere in a neighborhood of 300,000. But what would make them look so vast is all of those soldiers traveled with their families. So whatever family a soldier had, they came with them. When they got on the boats to go land... When, when Persia began to, to stretch out its arm against Greece, they would all load up on the boats. They would go together so that the soldiers knew if we fail, our families are right behind us. And so in the might and the strength and the size. But you see, they didn't move very fast. As you can imagine, if you were moving your whole family, you know, in, in a military arm, you're going to move slow. You're going to lumber. Like what? A bear, powerful, strong, but not as fast as the leopard that we're going to see as the kingdom of Greece. So here this ram is conquering and moving forward. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west. A male goat from the west. Now what we need to realize, this goat is smaller. We're talking about a ram. like I always picture it as a a bighorn. Bighorn sheep standing up on top of some big old cliff where they're heads. This one knocked everybody off. He's, he's taking control. But now here comes this little goat. This little bitty goat's coming up against the ram. Now look what it says. As I was considering, this male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. And he was moved with rage uh, against him and attacked the ram and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he was cast down to the ground and trampled, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Well, folks, we can see how this all transpired in history we see that there was about 30,000 ships that were sent from Xerxes to go see what he could do in Greece. And on the way, there was a storm. Most of his, his navy was sunk in that place, but he ended up with about 300,000 soldiers. Those 300,000 soldiers began to push into Greece. On their way, they were funneled into the hot gates, the gates of Thermopylae. When they were brought into the gates of Thermopylae, they were held back by one group of Grecian Grecian soldiers, roughly around 5,000. They held off the 300,000 that were trying to break through for three days. At the end of three days, every single Greek was dead. And as far as the nation of Greece was concerned... They were the greatest heroes of all time. In fact, today, if you go to Thermopylae, you'll still see the statue there that's set to, to honor the men who died in that place. What happened? Greece drew back, and when they came at Persia, the Persian king, he suffered a lot of losses. He just probed a, little, a while in Greece, and then he went back home. But what he had done is lit a fire... And the Greeks hated the Persians. They were so filled with rage. When Alexander the Great would take his office uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 24 years old, in six years he would wipe out the entire Persian Empire. Six years. And he would conquer the known world. At the age of 29, he would weep on his bed because there were no more worlds to conquer. He had stretched all the way from the tip of Europe all the way to India. That's how big his kingdom was. So when we talk about this goat moving fast, not touching the ground, we see it fighting with this rage built within it, you know, to, because of this hatred that had been developed. We see these things in history. And we can back up. We have the opportunity. We're not Daniel. When Daniel wrote this, none of this had ever happened. But again, folks, I'm not just pulling this out the sky. We're going to see the Bible tell us exactly who Daniel is talking about. Well, let's continue to read. So it says then, uh, And I saw him confront the ram, and he was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, But he was cast down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male goat grew very great. But when he became strong, the large horn was broken and in its place, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. Okay, four horns come up. Now, if we consider again the... The prophecy, speaking of the leopard, we're going to see that that leopard had four heads. Now we're going to see one notable horn. That horn dies, is destroyed. When when Alexander the Great died, his generals asked him, to whom shall the kingdom go? And he said, let the strong have it. Which began, as you can imagine, quite a little skirmish. Originally, there were six people fighting over it. But it settled down into four. Four people took the kingdom of Greece and divided it asunder. So if we take a look, we can look at the the next one. We'll see those four generals. We have Cassander. Cassander literally uh, took the kingdom of Europe. We'll see in a moment on a map. Lysimachus, he took Turkey. Ptolemy took Egypt. And Seleucus has Asia, Babylon, and Syria. As they divide in their four pieces if we look at the next one, you'll see the map of the kingdom. So as we flip, you'll see Ptolemy and Seleucius. They become the primary players. In Europe, you have Cassandra, Lysimachus there in, in Asia and in Turkey, and then Seleucius and Ptolemy. Now, I want you to notice something. Seleucius and Ptolemy are going to fight all the time. What's between them? See that little strip? That's Israel. That's Israel. You're going to see him divided into the four winds, north, south, east, west, four guys, divide the kingdom. And this is the way that the kingdom was divided. Now, out of one of them came a little horn. Interesting. We, we talked about a little horn last time. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. And when the Bible talks about the glorious land, guess what it's talking about? Nation of Israel. It's talking about the promised land. Now listen, we saw this little horn last week. The Bible beginning to tell us that from, remember, the ten heads? The, the ten horns? The ten toes? We see coming from those ten, the, the, I, the Antichrist would remove three And raise himself up, speaking boastful words. We see him as a picture of the Antichrist who is yet to come. And keep in mind, the word anti doesn't mean uh, against. It means in place of. Remember what Jesus said. I come in my Father's name, and you have not received me. Another will come in his own name, and what? Him you will receive. He is the pseudo-Christ. The one that will be received instead of. Instead of Jesus Christ. And so... That we saw is a little horn. But folks, I want you to understand, people get all twisted up when they look at prophecy because they try to take something and make it mean something else. Where does this little horn come from? It comes out of the four horns that sprout up. Not from the ten heads. Not from the last beast. This is coming from the, 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 the empire of Greece. So when we look at this little horn, we're going to realize the Bible is consistent in its idioms, which means when he uses little horn, he's talking about an Antichrist or he's going to paint for us a picture in history of what Antichrist is going to be like. Little horn will always be the little horn, but this is not the guy to come at the end. This is a guy who came from Greece, from the empire that was divided into four. And he tells us which one he's going to come from. He's going to come from Seleucius. He tells us that where his power is going to be. To the east and to the south. And, and this world leader is going to conquer Ptolemy. But Rome is beginning to come into power. And Rome is going to say to this guy, Hey, get out of Egypt. Go back where you were. And when he goes to get out of Egypt, guess where he goes past? Right through Israel. And he isn't very happy. His name is Antiochus Epiphany. And he is the little horn. And we'll see as we take a look at what the scriptures declare to us. Okay? And so, it grew up to the host of heaven. And it was cast down. And it cast down the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. Now listen. According to the law of hermeneutics, when he's talking about the stars, we're going to go back to Genesis when stars were mentioned. How were they mentioned? Remember Joseph's dream? His mother and father, the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, and they all bowed down to him. So when the Scripture is talking about stars, unless it tells us differently, we're going to go back to how it was first mentioned. How was it first used? So we're going to say that the Antichrist, or this little horn that came out of Greece, he threw down the the children of Israel. He's going to do some horrible things that we're going to see. He cast down these stars to the ground, the 12 tribes, and he tramples them into the dust. Well, let's take a look. And he even exalted himself as high as a prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Listen. in From uh, 175 to 164 B.C., Antiochus Epiphany took control of the Seleucid Empire. When he was chased out of Egypt by Rome, he came through Israel. And he was so angry, he absolutely hated the Jewish people. When he got into Jerusalem, he, he started doing all these crazy things. For example, he went into the temple and slaughtered a pig, made the high priest drink pig's blood, splashed pig's blood all over the temple in the Holy of Holies, everywhere within there. He was splashing it everywhere. He was requiring that people would call him Theos Epiphany. Theos Epiphany means God Manifest. He was declaring himself to be God. Where was he standing? In the temple. In the temple of the Lord, declaring himself to be God. And he did this in history. It took place. On that day, the the Jews were so infuriated, they rose up against him, and 40,000 Jews were killed on the temple mount that day. 40,000 that day. He would go on to kill a million in his career as Antiochus Epiphanes, as he reigned in the Seleucid Empire. He would kill a million Jews. During that time, he would raise up a statue in the Holy of Holies, a statue of Zeus, and declare that they must all bow down and worship the statue in the Holy of Holies and no longer their God. When we take a look at Antiochus Epiphanes' career, what we discover is... He is a great picture of what the little horn in the last days is going to do. Because he's going to do the same things. He's going to do the same things. But listen, while Antiochus Epiphany was doing all these things, there was one priest who stood up to him. And when he stood up to him, Antiochus Epiphany did what he always did. He killed him. But that one priest had five boys. Their names were the Maccabees. And they began what is known as the Maccabean Revolt, which ultimately would throw Antiochus Epiphanes out of Israel. But all of these things were written before these people were even players. While Babylon was still the kingdom, Alexander the Great wasn't even born yet. And he's talking about this little horn that's going to do these things in the nation of Israel. Well, let's take a look at what the Scripture lays out for us. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices. He cast down truth to the ground, and he did all this, and yet he prospered. Listen, because of transgression, here's what happened. When Antiochus... Epiphany came into control. He began to try to control the priesthood. Now the high priest, it was just a part of the order within the Levitical priesthood. The high priest was chosen. There was a rotation. But when Antiochus was in power, Jewish men who were in the tribe of Levi began to give him bribes to try to get the office of high priest so that they could have the power. And so... First he made one a high priest, but then his brother gave more money. So then he made him the high priest. Well, then his brother killed him. So then that guy was a high priest, Then another guy comes along and offers even more. In fact, he offers so much money he can't pay the bribe, so he begins to sell the gold implements within the temple so that he's able to pay the bribe. And the Bible says because of transgression, power was given to this little horn that he would be able to do these things. Because of the transgression, an army was given, and he opposed the daily sacrifices. So Antiochus Epiphanes stopped the daily sacrifices. Every morning, every evening, there was a sacrifice. He put an end to it. The Bible tells us, the book of Revelation, and later on in the book of Daniel, the Antichrist in the last days is going to do the same thing. He's going to do the same thing so we see him this little horn as a picture of what is to come and it helps us understand when we look at the the prophecies concerning the little horn of the last days because we see what the first one did and how he behaved the things that he accomplished so and it says and he cast down truth to the ground antiochus epiphanes excuse me, gathered all the scriptures that he could find and they had a giant book burning. He cast the truth down to the ground. They burned the scriptures. He would not allow the Jewish people to openly read the scriptures. He cast down truth to the ground and he did all this and prospered. He was doing fine. He reigned. He ruled. He had a, a kingdom And I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to this certain one that was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation and the giving of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? How long is this all going to last? What is going to be the length of time that this is going to go on? So he's laying this out, but listen, I don't want you to miss this thing he says. And the transgression of desolation. In Daniel chapter 9, He's going to give it another name. The abomination that makes desolate. In Matthew 24, Jesus is going to say, When you see the abomination of desolation in the holy place, run. All three are talking about the same thing. What is the abomination that makes desolate? When the little horn presents himself in the temple of god as though he is god that's the sin the signal to the nation of israel during the tribulation period run flee get out of there many people believe that they're going to run or flee to petra because the word of god says that the earth is going to swallow them up the word for earth or stone petra Petra, you're going to run into Petra. Maybe it's there, maybe it's somewhere else. doesn't make any difference. God's going to protect him. His hand will be on those who flee. That's why Jesus said, hey, don't pack. Woe to those who are are pregnant or in labor at that time. Woe to those. uh, Pray that it won't be on the Sabbath day. Why would that be important? Well, it wouldn't necessarily stop anything for you and I, but if you're in Israel... On the Sabbath day, everything stops, folks. Everything stops. You go out on the Sabbath day and try to take an elevator. Go ahead. You might as well take the stairs. You can't push any buttons because that would be work. So the elevator stops at every single floor. Now, what if you're in a hurry? That's not going to work for you, is it? What if you want to come out and and get a flight? Or you want to come out and do something? The streets shut down on the Sabbath. They shut down. It's not very easy to do anything. That's why when Jesus is speaking, we know He's talking to the nation of Israel. Matthew 24, when He's talking to them about the events that are going to take place, He's speaking to the nation of Israel in those events. Well, as we look here... We see this same thing, folks. We see this transgression that brings desolation. He's talking about that abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And so he says, how long will this be? In verse 14, he said to me, for 2,300 days. Then the sanctuary will be cleansed. Now... Sometime in the 1800s, a well-meaning Baptist minister picked up this scripture. He looked at the book of Peter where Peter declared that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but He's long-suffering, desire that none would perish. Where Peter says a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. He arbitrarily puts the day to a thousand years to those 2,300 days, and he looks at his calendar and he says, the Lord is going to return in 1843. He gathered together a whole group of folks who got together, put on white robes, and went on top of the mountain in 1843. He didn't come. But from that movement, from that man, was born the Jehovah Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists. They pulled from his teachings, which all started by a guy taking and adding a day to it. Why would you add, why would you say, he said 2,300 days, didn't he? Why would you make that 2,300 years? Or why would you make it 23,000 years? Or why would you make it anything other than what the Bible says it is? The Bible says 2,300 days. And if we get right down into the language, folks, you're going to see that the Bible says 23 mornings and evenings. 2,300 mornings and evenings. Well, that may may be important in a moment, but let me describe it for you. 2,300 days until it will be cleansed. Folks, if we start on the day, we know when the temple was cleansed. December 25th, 165 B.C. If we back up, 2,300 days, we come to September 6, 171 B.C., which is about the time Antiochus Epiphanes began his struggle against the nation of Israel. Now, the problem with this prophecy is the Lord doesn't give us a starting point. You know what I mean? He doesn't say like in Daniel chapter 9 from the going forth to to rebuild Jerusalem. Here he just says how long is it going to last? Here's what Daniel is going to need to pull from this and the people who dealt in this time would have to pull from this. 2,300 days means it isn't going to last forever. By the way, 2,300 days is just short of seven years. Interesting, huh? Just short of seven years. But if we go backwards from when the temple was cleansed, when the Maccabeans kicked out Antiochus Epiphanes, it takes us back near the beginning of his reign when he focused his energy, his hatred against Israel. So the whole period lasting about seven years. Now, there are people who look at this, and listen, they have a viable viable issue. They say when he says there are 2,300 days... He's actually saying 2,300 sacrifices. Evening sacrifice, morning sacrifice. Which would back it up to 1,150 days. 1,150 days from the time when, uh, when the cleansing of the temple was done on December 25th. If you go back, takes you to the beginning of his main emphasis, his main battles... Uh, against the nation of israel so you can look at both of those both ways there's not really any point in in arguing which is which the reality is the lord is laying out for us that that reign of terror lasted whether you take 2300 days or 1150 days which is two sacrifices each day cuts it in half It doesn't make any difference both figures work the point is the lord was saying hey it's not going to be forever. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24? Except those days would be shortened. what? There'd be no flesh left on the earth. When, when, when we study the Bible and we come to look at that tribulation period or what we call the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time, it's important that we re- recognize and realize what Jesus said is true. It's not permanent. Seven years. That's all it's going to be. Seven years of the wrath of God poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. So when we look at this, it says in verse 15, Then it happened, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the the meaning, then suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli who, who called and said, Gabriel... Make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Vision refers to the time of the end. What he's laying out for us is what we see in Scripture over and over again for example in ezekiel 28 or isaiah 14 when we read those scriptures we'll see for example in isaiah 14 isaiah laying out a lamentation to the to the uh, king of tyre and in the middle of this lamentation that isaiah is laying out for him woe to you for this and this all of a sudden it's like isaiah he backs up his focus and he looks beyond that king and he begins to talk to the prince of Tyre or the spiritual power behind the king. The power that was, that was emphasizing him. And he gives us a picture of what Satan was all about and where he came from. Same thing happens in Ezekiel 28. All of a sudden he's talking about this prince or this king. And then he says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, who are you talking to now, Ezekiel? He's talking to Satan. He's seeing beyond the one and looking to the final part. And that's what Gabriel is saying to Daniel. You you can see in this the truth of when this takes place in history, but it's also going to be about the end. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Everything Antiochus Epiphanes did, the Antichrist is going to do in the last days. He becomes for us a picture, a painting of what God is ultimately going to to do, what God is ultimately going to lay out for us. So, now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep, and my face to the ground, and he touched me and stood at me upright. And he said, look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation, for at the appointed time, the end shall be. The end is appointed verse 20 the ram you saw having the two horns they are the kings of media media and persia folks there's no arguing about it bible tells us who they are 21 the male goat is the kingdom of greece it's a kingdom of greece the large horn that is between its eyes is what his first king that word for first is a prominent what's the prominent king Of Greece. If you were to think about Greece, there's only one name coming up, right? Alexander the Great. The one who established Greece as a world power. The one horn is its prominent king. Then look. And then four as that broken horn. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. What did we see? Four of... Alexander's general, dividing the kingdom into four parts. And those four parts were never as strong as the kingdom of Greece when it was united. Which set up the the table or set the world for the Roman Empire to come in and rule. But folks, I don't have to guess at it. Do I? The Bible tells us. It describes to us what's taking place. Then he says in verse 23, Now in the latter time of their kingdom in the latter time. That's a phrase also uh, constituted in the Bible as the last days. The last days is a period of time that took place from the moment Jesus ascended into heaven. We entered into a period of time the Bible calls the last days. It's been the last days for nigh on 2,000 years. But it doesn't change the fact in the latter times of this kingdom, in the latter times, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. Folks, what's happened? The angel Gabriel, we focused in on Antiochus Epiphany, the fulfillment, the initial, the near fulfillment of the prophecy. Now, Gabriel's going to stand back and zoom deeper into time And now he's talking to us about the Antichrist, that one who will come. He understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Well, Revelation chapter 13 tells us where he gets his power. His power is from the dragon. Revelation 12 tells us who the dragon is, Satan. He receives his power from the dragon, so he doesn't have his own power. His power will not be His own. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the people and also the holy people. Folks, why does God give us the two examples? Because He backs up and says, look, because of this transgression, this little horn came and He overcame the saints. He overcame the saints. But in the end... He was cast off, and they were delivered. The same thing is going to happen again. This little horn, the one coming in the last days, he is going to come, and he will do war and do battle with the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. Through his cunning, that word for deceit is also the word craft. He can cause craft to, to prosper. Most people point to that and point to the book of Revelation where the book of Revelation tells us what? That he will cause all men, small and great, to take a mark. That no man will be able to buy or sell except that he has this mark. The scripture in Revelation and the scripture here in Daniel are pointing to a similar thing through his cunning He will cause deceit to prosper under his rule. No man will do anything save they sell their soul, in essence. For taking the mark of the beast, folks, is not like putting a chip in your dog. It's not even putting a chip in your children. Taking the mark of the beast is an act of worship. Now, it may involve a chip. It may involve that technology. We don't really know. But taking the mark of the beast is a conscious decision to reject the truth of God and accept the lie of the Antichrist. How do we know that? Folks, it happened in history before. What do you think 6 million Christians were killed in the Roman Empire for? They were killed because they would not stand before the temple of Caesar declaring that Caesar is God... They would not take a pinch of incense and throw it on the fire and and hail Caesar as their Lord. They said there's one Lord and Caesar's not Him. They would declare their allegiance to Rome. They would serve Rome in their legions. They would serve Rome in any other way. But they would not worship Caesar. And six million were killed. It's the same thing, folks. It's a sp- Didn't John tell us in 1st, in 2nd, and 3rd John that the spirit of Antichrist is already here and at work in the world? Over and over and over again, we see the pictures of what that end time ruler will accomplish. Why do we see those pictures? So that we can be ready, so that we can recognize, so that we can realize hey, man, this stuff is true. It's happened before, it's going to happen again. It's going to take place. He goes on and says, He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. The Mashiach Nagid. Messiah the king. The prince of princes. But he will be broken without hands. He will be broken without hands. Revelation 19 tells us, When Jesus returns, how does he destroy the power of the Antichrist? With the words of his mouth, the sword that proceeds from his mouth. The word of God will speak the word. How did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke and it was. So uh, how hard is it for him to take it apart? It's not very hard. Folks, the book of Revelation tells us that the armies of Antichrist will be poised in a in the plains of Megiddo. They'll be in the plains of Megiddo because he has come to destroy Israel. But on his way to destroy Israel, he hears something. He hears the kings of the east with a 200 million man army are marching against him. So he's going to turn and prepare to meet his enemy, the kings of the east. And they all meet together on the same day, God ordained, In fact, the Bible says God puts it in their hearts to gather them together in the plains of Megiddo in Armageddon. And on that day, while they're thinking they're going to fight each other, Jesus Christ will return. And those enemies will unite against Him. And it will be the shortest battle in the history of battles known to mankind. The Bible tells us that we will be returning with Him. That we will be with Him. That He will be leading. But we're not ever going to have to do anything. The Bible tells that He is going to tread the winepress of the fierceness of God's wrath alone. And that the blood will flow to the horse's bridle in the plains or the valley of Jezreel, which is 185 miles long. That's the destruction. In the people who what? What? have rejected Jesus Christ. I I, I shared this morning, Jesus came the first time as a lamb. He doesn't come as a lamb the second time. Second time he comes as the lion. To judge a world that has already been condemned because they chose the darkness rather than the light. Those people gathered in the plains of Armageddon had already had the witness of 144,000 speaking the truth Of the gospel to them. Already had four angels flying through the midst of heaven, declaring the everlasting gospel. Had the two witnesses in Israel, in Jerusalem, doing all these miracles, withholding the rain, even to the point that they said, Even if you take our lives, we'll rise again. So Antichrist himself will go in and kill those two witnesses himself. And He'll keep the cameras on them while they're laying in the ground to prove they're not who they said they were. But after three days, the Bible says, they will rise again and be raptured up, caught up into the heavens, and every eye will see them. They had all those witnesses, yet they rejected. If man rejects the truth of God's Word, He is not in danger of condemnation. He is already condemned. Apart from Jesus Christ, we stand condemned men. Jesus declared it. We are condemned. The soul that sins must die. But what did God do? Did God just say, well, man's messed up, so he's out of luck? No, he became condemned flesh the the, god was manifest in the flesh he died on the cross he paid the price and all we have to do is receive that gift repent of our sins receive that gift that free gift of salvation and the bible says you will be saved just like the lord spoke through the nation of israel during the exodus children of israel were complaining like sometimes we do the lord sent fiery serpents And they were bitten. And those who were bitten by the fiery serpents were dying. And so Moses said, Lord, what can we do? And the Lord said, take a brass serpent and affix it to a brass pole and stick it in the middle of the camp and everyone who looks at that pole will be saved. How many people died writhing in the dirt asking for some other cure? Just like... All we have to do is come to the cross. Jesus said, If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to Myself. Jesus on the cross. It's pictures, guys. Remember, prophecy in the Word comes from the Hebrew mindset. And the Hebrew mindset is and has always been pattern. The Greek mind is prophecy fulfillment. But the Hebrew mindset is patterns, patterns, patterns. We see him throughout the Word. Genesis... To Revelation, the patterns are laid out for us so we can see that we can understand. Verse 26, And the vision of the evenings and the mornings which is told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days. It refers to many days in the future. Daniel can't understand it. He can't grasp it. You and I, we don't have that problem today, do we? Do we have the inability to grasp it? Daniel was told in the last days when men are going to and fro across the earth that knowledge would be increased. And in those times, folks would understand. Why would we understand? Because standing behind Daniel, I can look in history. and I can, It's like I'm reading history in advance when I read Daniel. 350 years before Antiochus Epiphanes reigned, he gave us a, a, a concept of the career of Antiochus Epiphanes. He told us that the Medes and the Persians would take over Babylon, that the Greeks would take over the Medes and the Persians. He laid all we have to do is stand back in history and look at all the pieces fit. So the Lord said, Daniel, this is not for you. It's for a people that will come after you. When they come, they'll understand what they're looking at. They'll be able to see. And I, Daniel, verse 27, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Daniel's blown away by the vision. He doesn't have all the answers. But he's about to tell us Daniel chapter 9, which is about as good as it gets. Daniel chapter 9 is going to begin with Daniel doing something that Jesus Christ called us to do. To pray always. Daniel's going to be praying in the beginning of Daniel chapter 9 that God would help him understand these things and the Lord's going to give him the most incredible vision ever given anyone throughout Scripture. He's going to be given that and we're we're going to get a chance to study it next week. But Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples... He told them what? Watch and pray. Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that are going to come upon the world. He said, pray. Pray. Be ready. Look for Jesus. Daniel here is talking about Jesus' second coming when he comes as a lion. But the church all throughout time, folks, were were focused on something called the imminent return of Christ. That Jesus Christ could come for His church any time. A lot of people disagree. A lot of people want to do other things. A lot of people want to take Scripture that's written in the Word and twist it up and tie it up into some neat little bow and say something else is, is what's going on. But that's not the clear meaning of Scripture. Clear meaning of Scripture is live every day As though that's the day Jesus is coming for you. So that you're constantly doing and being what God desires you to be. What God is calling you to be. The doctrine of eminence. There are some 30-some scriptures that that detail the doctrine of eminence throughout the scriptures. What's the point? The point isn't, folks, that we get this idea that, well, we're never going to have to go through hard times. That's not the point. The point is, Jesus loves you. And he will come for you. Just like he came for Lot. Just like he came for Enoch. He is going to come for you. The same way we see the pattern move in Scripture before the flood. What happened to Enoch? Enoch walked with God and what? Was not for God. Did what? Took him. him. What happened to Lot? Lot living there in Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels coming to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah to pour out the wrath of God on Sodom and Gomorrah. What did the angels tell Lot? Get out. We cannot destroy the city while you're here. How did they take him out? Did Lot finally get his act together and walk out? He no, he didn't. They grabbed him by his hand and they drug him out of the city before the judgment would fall. The Bible tells us in the book of Thessalonians, we are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Who bore the wrath of God for the church? Jesus did. On the cross. He who knew no sin, what? Became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. There's not a period of purification for the body. But we shouldn't go into life thinking we're never going to suffer. Didn't the same Lord tell us what? All who desire to live godly will what? Suffer persecution. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Daniel was a righteous guy, yet he had difficulties, didn't he? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, righteous guys, they ended up in the fire. Doesn't mean life's going to be a bowl of cherries for us. But it does mean... Jesus is coming for us. And John said, everyone who has this hope within him purifies himself even as he is pure. What does that mean? If I really believe Jesus is coming back tomorrow, what will I do? John says, everyone who has that belief in him purifies himself as he is pure. We live life different with that attitude, don't we? We live life different, and I can, I, folks. I'm okay. I'm okay living that Jesus comes tomorrow and He don't come. That's okay. He's God, not me. He come when He's ready to come. What am I supposed to be doing? The Bible says, "Occupy until I come. Do business until I come. Be at." business when we read god's word and we look at the words on a page and we use the the proper forms of understanding prophecy and we lay it all together we look at the word and we say my goodness god has told us everything we need to know what else do we need we need to hold on to that word with both hands and say hey there's something i'm supposed to be about right now there's a place I'm supposed to be working toward. There's things God's called me to do. I want to be about doing those things. I want to be about living life like everybody else as a light that men can see the difference between me and someone else. And I want to do that no matter what it costs from now till I see Jesus face to face because I only want to hear one thing well done good and faithful servant enter into your master's rest or happiness or depending on what version you have it's all the same it's all the same that's what i want to hear so if i want to be found worthy then then no matter what's going on in my life i want to be i want to be moving in that direction right you know there was a group of roman soldiers in fact they were called the italian regiment the italian regiment man they were the baddest of the bad if you can imagine rome italy i mean that was it they were the italian regiment well this italian regiment had a lot of christians in it and the word came down from rome that that they needed to to like i shared with you take that pinch of incense and swear allegiance to the god of rome to caesar and The guys in the Italian regiment wouldn't do it. There was 40 of them that wouldn't do it. So they took those 40 guys in the Italian regiment and they took them on top of this frozen lake and they stripped them naked and they put them in the middle of the lake and they got around on the outside and they had fires and they said, now if any of you wants to renounce Christ... All you have to do is stand up and come. We'll welcome you here. You can be by the fire. We've got food. We'll give you back your clothes. You renounce Christ and everything will be okay. And those guys in the middle of the lake began to sing a song 40 Brave Soldiers for Christ. They sang that song, but things got cold. Guys began to struggle. And all of a sudden, one of the guys in the middle of those 40, he jumped up and he ran to the outside. And immediately, they jumped up and they threw their arms around him and they covered him up in a cloak and they sat him by the fire and they gave him something warm to drink. And the guys in the middle of the lake, they sang 39 brave soldiers for Christ. When they started singing that, the centurion in charge of the Italian regiment, stripped off all his armor, all his clothes, went out to the middle of that lake and sat down and died so that there would be 40. Now, listen. Same God over those guys is over us. And God didn't deliver them from death. But in the way they lived, they brought a man who might not ever have been able to come to salvation to salvation. Not because of how they died, because of how they lived. And that's what God is calling for each of us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You for this night. We thank You for this time when we can just get an an overview of of end times. Lord, we thank You for the specifics of the Scripture and the truth that God's Word is true. Daniel chapter 8 did happen and will happen. Every word is going to take place. So God, may we as Your people receive Your Word as truth. Realize, see the things that You're laying out for us. And, and then live our lives, God, believing, holding on to your word and saying, I don't care what everyone else says. This is the one thing in my life I know is true no matter what. And in that, Father, in that declaration, in that commitment, equip us so that we may be counted as one of the brave soldiers for Christ. Willing to go through whatever because we love You. Constantly looking and listening for You to call our name and to call us home. But always ready to be Your witness to all the world so that in the things that we face, some may be saved. Father God, we just ask that Your Spirit would move upon this place tonight as we continue in worship. Lord, we ask that You, God, would direct and guide and, and just show us, Father, Your way. Lord, that we would receive and, and understand and hold tightly, God, to, to just the move of Your Spirit in this place. Lord, we pray that You would equip each one That they would be uh, endowed with your power, the power of your spirit to fulfill the ministry that they have before them tomorrow. We don't know what it is, but you know, God. And you always equip your people. So, Lord, we just pray in this time as we seek your face that you would be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue to worship for a little while.